Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the recent invasion in Gaza by the Israeli Defense Force in Israel. They've uh, just recently had a vote in the U.S. House of Representatives unanimously supporting the actions of Israel against Gaza, supposedly because of their rocket attacks. And what I we're asking people that listen to this, if you have a grandmother, if you're a grandmother, and if you're compassionate, take a look at this from maybe a different angle or pass this on to somebody that uh, is concerned about their children, their grandchildren, this type of thing. Because what happened just this past Sunday, a grandmother in my Sunday school class asked me what I had been up to over the weekend. So I told her about going to the rally to support Palestinians, and that was in Tempe, Arizona, sponsored by the Students for Justice in Palestine, the Arizona State University chapter there. And there was about 200 people there. And you can watch our video report on the event, and it is entitled... Will Israel get away with murdering innocent Palestinian women and children in Gaza again? Of course, like any good sheeple, or i that's a word I've coined, uh, that follows our mainstream media and has been deceived by them and our government, the grandmother replied, what about all those rockets the Palestinians launched? How does one explain the situation in less than a minute in Sunday school class. I don't think I did a very good job, but thanks to the Jewish Voice for Peace, I received an email with a touching story by a Palestinian woman from the West Bank whose parents live in Gaza. And so I wrote a letter to to Grandma, an email, trying to explain this, and here's what I I wrote, and then I'm going to read parts of this letter by this Palestinian woman that kind of explains the situation. And here's what I wrote to Grandma. When you asked me what I did over the weekend, my reply may have thrown you for a loop. It's not easy to explain the situation in Palestine when Americans mainly get slanted news from our controlled major media outlets that fawn over Israel and are biased towards Palestinians. I just received this email from Jewish Voice for Peace with a very touching story from a Palestinian mother, Safa, that I'm sure will resonate with a compassionate mother and grandmother like yourself. It's not likely you will hear or see a story about Safa and her family in our lamestream media. When you understand the brutal nature of the Israeli occupation of Palestine, you may come to see why some of the Palestinian inmates, quote-unquote, don't act very civil on occasion. Bob Simon of CBS News, who is Jewish and lives in Israel, described Gaza as the world's largest open-air prison in an interview with Charlie Rose about four or five years ago. And so... 
I pointed her to this and included this letter. And this lady's name is Safa Abdel Rahman Mahdi. And she's a manager of the Young Women Empowerment and Livelihoods Project of the YWCA of Palestine. And here's what she said in part. My name is Safa. I'm a mom of three little girls. I live in Ramallah, but am originally from Gaza. I wrote this letter Sunday night. That would be the 13th of July. After a long and bloody day, one of many, I want you to know what it is like here and what my family is telling me Gaza is like. And I want to ask for your help. In 1994, I left Gaza when I was 16 years old to pursue my university studies in Berzet University, exactly one year after the signing of the Oslo Accords. I am now 38, and Israel's occupation of Palestine continues. When I got married in 2002, my parents were never able to make it to my wedding. My oldest daughter is not yet nine years old and has never met her grandparents in Gaza. Like most Palestinians, we cannot obtain a permit from Israel to move between the West Bank and Gaza. And this is a very short distance. It's In some places, it's, what, 15, 20 miles. It's, it's, it's not, very, not very far. Last March, I finally got a permit to visit my parents when my father got very sick. When I got a permit to go to Gaza, it was for only one week, and she could only take one child, her baby that was five months old. That's one week out of nine years. I am not the only one who is living in such a difficult situation. Thousands of Palestinians are separated from their families and loved ones due to the separation wall and classifications according to the type of ID they hold. We have Gaza, West Bank, and Jerusalem IDs, and movement to and from these areas require access permits from the Israeli government. Most Palestinians are denied such permits for reasons that they are not aware of, but always rejected for allegedly, quote, security reasons, unquote. For the past eight days, Gaza is being massively attacked by the Israeli occupation forces with all kinds of missiles and weaponry. The death toll just reached 170 people, most of whom are children, civilians, and women. More than 1,000 injured. Hundreds of homes were bombarded. Images coming out of Gaza are terrifying and heartbreaking. I do not think anyone with a little compassion in their heart would not sympathize with the victims. I sleep every night hoping that this madness will stop in the morning. Due to the bombing and massive shelling, the whole family, uh, she's referring to her parents and, and other siblings, including my other brother who lives in a different building, gather with my parents for better safety. Or that's what they hope. They say it is better to live or die together. The other day they also received the neighbors who were afraid of getting hurt after their closest neighbor was demanded to evacuate as the house was targeted for bombing. My mom told me that it feels and looks like a tsunami has hit the neighborhood. I thought if it was a tsunami, maybe the international community would have acted fast to save innocent lives. 
I do not understand how Israel is defending itself by killing entire families and children. If Israel has a right to defend itself as an occupier, why are we denied the very same right as the occupied? Why, after more than 20 years of negotiations, we cannot live in an independent state? Why Israel is breaking more than 65 UN resolutions without being questioned? Why Israel is building more settlements? Why it's almost impossible to make Israel accountable to international law? Why the U.S. does not see that Israel is not acting responsibly? Or why they think killing hundreds of civilians is a responsible act? I wonder, when will my daughters see their grandparents? I have many questions, but can only think of one answer. The U.S. is not interested in bringing peace and justice to Palestine. The U.S. government is occupying Palestine as much as Israel. The U.S. is supplying Israel with weapons. It is backing it and preventing the U.N. Security Council from even condemning the atrocities and genocide committed by Israel against Palestinians. The situation will change if and only if the U.S. takes a strong stand against Israel in Israel's continued violations of human rights. And that will require Americans, and especially American Jews, who believe in justice to put a stop to the U.S. policy of unconventional support for Israel. I will sleep in my home tonight, but my heart remains with the people of Gaza. I am sure if you look at the physical and human losses at both sides, you will realize yourself where you stand. And will you want to act? And this is from Salam from Occupied Palestine, Salam Abdel Rahman Mahdi. Very powerful letter. So if compassion is in your DNA or in your grandmother's DNA, maybe the story will resonate. And I'd like to open up my comments here to some questions. Craig, you had a question of me earlier about why does Hamas do these rockets? Yeah, exactly. And that, that was my question. If, if you knew your neighbor was going to uh, be throwing mortar shells over the fence if you threw a rock over, why in the world uh, would you want to throw anything over your fence because you know you're going to get this retaliation that's 100 times uh, more severe than, than what you think you might be doing with your rocks. And I think, Chuck, you, wanted, you were going to address that as well, because that's, that's the big question. Also, I, I like what the lady said in, in her uh, letter, where if it were a tsunami, all the, the world community would be right there. We'd be sending in all kinds of aid and so forth and so on. And uh, last time we tried to send in a flotilla to Gaza, you know, it got intercepted by the uh, IDF. So it'd be better if it were a tsunami. At least there'd be more sympathy in, in that case. Yes. Chuck, would you like to respond to Craig's question, please? Well, the question, of course, is why the little guy gets into the fight with the big guy for the second time, in this case for the fifth time. And obviously Hamas is smart enough to know they can't win. I think that Hamas understands that Israel's program is to annihilate all Palestinians in Gaza or else to force them to leave and unfortunately they don't have a way to leave. I interviewed a Jewish man who is an author named Richard Foer and he told me that his twin brother is in Israel and is a member of the radical right-wing 
party there, one of them, there's a couple of them, and he says that his brother would be for annihilation of the Palestinians. What is going on there is a slow and steady starvation that is in the process of a world-class genocide against these people, and the wars are just an acceleration of the pace of that. This is a speed-up. This is a fast place in the process of murdering the entire Palestinian population. And uh, Hamas knows that, and so they realize they have nothing to lose, and so they throw their food at the jailer. They throw their chair at the jailer. If he gets too close to the fence, they reach through and try to grab him by the neck and choke him. They do that knowing they're going to get beat up and killed and, and that there are going to be international incidents where Israel will make international news. So in my opinion, Hamas is realistic. They realize that they are scheduled for execution. And uh, the Hamas people themselves, of course, are being systematically executed. We don't hear about this. But Israel has been conducting air raids in Gaza for 12 years, and they've never really stopped. And they conduct these selected execution of Gaza leaders, Gaza activists, and people who associate with Gaza and their families anytime they feel like it. And this goes on all the time. It didn't just start five days ago. So their whole perspective, I think, on the conflict they're in is entirely different from ours, and yet... They probably don't like to tell the Palestinian people they're going to kill us all. We might as well fight back now. This is really what I think Israel's up to. We all know, if we've read our history, that in the 1930s, the Soviet Union decided that the Ukrainian kulaks were an enormous problem to them. They were occupying land that the Soviets wanted to take over, and they owned their farms, and they didn't want to give up ownership. And so Russia instituted a policy of forced starvation and deprivation, and they killed or forced off the land, I don't know how many million kulaks, and they essentially barren the land, and then they uh, converted it into, into collective farms. What's going on in Gaza is no different than what the Soviet Union did in Ukraine in 1931. And we just don't recognize the gravity of it. We don't recognize what really is being done to the Palestinian people and the diabolical willingness of Israel to execute these people. Ariel Sharon was the former prime minister before Netanyahu and before one or two others. He's a couple of prime ministers back. He just died recently, though, in a coma. But he goes all the way back to the Nakba days and when he was a young soldier in the, in the military. And he repeatedly said in his military life, before he got into high politics, that if the politicians would give him leave and would cover for him, he would take care of executing all Palestinians. Other people in Israel have said this same thing repeatedly. It's just that we don't hear these stories very much. And when I we might, do hear them, we don't believe them. Chuck, I might add here, Ariel Sharon's son, Galad Sharon, is quoted here in a November 19th story in the UK's Telegraph, and it's entitled, Ariel Sharon's son, Galad, calls on Israel to, quote, flatten Gaza, unquote. And that was 
at the time of the last punitive operation against Gaza by Israel, Operation Tower of Defense, I think it was, or Cloud, something like that. But here's what he said, quote, flatten all of Gaza. The Americans didn't stop with Hiroshima. The Japanese weren't surrendering fast enough, so they hit Nagasaki too, unquote, he wrote in the Jerusalem Post. So he is a chip off the old block, and it is a view held by many, many Israelis. Well, uh, the total execution view is a lot stronger than Galad's view, because he can be read between the lines. You can read that between the lines as he believes in a little bit more bombing. Yeah. But if you can bring yourself to even consider the possibility that Israel is so diabolically that they would really plan to either execute or drive out everyone in Gaza, that is probably comes closer to what their goals and objectives and plans are than all the other things that we think and talk about. And so Hamas is basically pushing the issue because I guess they feel that they might as well face it. It's coming. And there's already no, really no water left. The way Israel has gone about this is they have deprived the people of Gaza of their infrastructure that allows them to stay alive. And that's water, sewage disposal, medicine, and then, of course, food. And the, the United Nations manages to get in a little food, but they're already out of water for all practical purposes. They have no sewage disposal, and uh, you have a lot of people there. So that's my answer, Craig, to you and to this lady. People just don't take Israel seriously enough. They just don't accept the idea that they really are planning to kill all these people. And they don't care how they leave. They don't feel that they should buy each one a ticket and send him to his favorite place. They don't feel like they should build a highway for them to walk out to some prearranged piece of land somewhere. They don't feel any obligation to take care of anybody. They didn't in the Nakba, and they don't now. They just basically don't care. And as my friend Rich Foyer said, that's what he said to every one of my questions. I said, would they do it? And he said, they don't care. They don't care about these people. They don't care how they leave. They don't care how they die. They don't care anything about him. Well, it's, it's time that more American Christians wake up and care. They, they can care about all kinds of issues all around the world, but for some reason, when it comes to Israel and Palestine, that's in many Christian circles, particularly the Christian Zionist churches, that's a no-no topic. It's very, very depressing to folks uh, in in the fight that are working for peace and justice in Palestine and in Israel, because what Israel is doing is really committing suicide. And that's well described in the book that We Hold These Truths published, One Nation Under Israel. That was written over 20 years ago. And its title originally was Holocaust II, Saving Israel from National Suicide. And in essence, that's what they're doing. Just as in the United States, we're blind to our empire, and we all know that empires gradually fall out of existence. They just can't be sustained for long periods of time. And any other further closing thoughts or questions? Tom, you mentioned the uh, House Resolution 657, where the House of Representatives took a stand against the Gaza and Hamas 
I pulled up the uh, House Resolution 657, and right in the middle of it, it says, whereas the United States has provided $235 million in fiscal year 2014 for Iron Dome research, development, and production, and goes on and so forth. I mean, it, uh, can imagine, could you imagine what $235 million would do to the Gazans if we could rebuild their infrastructure? Yes. How interesting. $235 million in what year? Fiscal 2014. Most of that, uh, my gosh. Oh, that's this year. Hey, Most of that I'll, is I'll, being used to shoot down weapons that have no killing effect. And I think they, it was commented that they shot a drone down yesterday that uh, right. supposedly yeah. Hamas shot, sent over there. And, and uh, the cost of the missile that took it down was $3 million. Right. It, it's interesting that, that uh, House Resolution 657 was uh, written by uh, Steve Israel, a Democrat rep uh, representative from New York, and there were 166 co-sponsors of, of that resolution. Mm -hmm. And it said it was, it was, the resolution was agreed to without objection, is mm -hmm. what, it, uh, what comes up on the website. Wow. Well, we're making this broadcast for you grandmothers there, how would you feel if you couldn't see your grandchildren they only lived 50 miles away and you didn't have the proper ID to go there? Please spread this far and wide as you hear this. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.